Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Well, hello, hello, hello. And uh, this is not Richard Serrett, as you just heard. It is Victor Vigiani sitting in for Richard Serrett, who is, as we say, on assignment. And we'll find out probably in the next couple of weeks exactly what Richard is up to. Um, just giving some thought that almost every single day the world is, I guess, in a, in a kind of funny kind of way, uh, being confronted with mundane forces and psychic forces um, that are intimidating us, all of it intimating to those who are attentive that things just are not operating as we believe they should be, or more so, how we've taught, how we have been taught that they do operate. From politics to medicine, religion to philosophy, more and more information is coming at us and coming to light that the world and what lies beyond is not what we have been taught to expect. Some choose to ignore the adventure of exploring these matters, while others invite a different journey. You may have chosen to listen tonight for a lot of different reasons, but you are going to be hearing an escapade that examines the precarious, the risky, Maybe, just maybe, everything we know is wrong. A chancy journey, maybe, yeah. And we welcome you along for the ride. My name is Victor Vigiani, and this is The Conspiracy Show. Along with a lot of the things that Richard does, uh, he's been coming involved with some very different uh, projects lately. And one of them that I'd like to talk to you about this evening is um, Sunday, November the 16th, 2014, this year, Richard is hosting a special all-day conference in Oshawa, Ontario. Um, it's called Follow the Truth, the Conspiracy Show Summit. It will feature six incredible guests, including Roswell investigator Donald Schmidt, Witness to the uh, Roswell uh, uh, Forest UFO incident, Jim Penniston, uh, physics professor Ronald Mallett to discuss time travel, and crop circle researcher Patty Greer. And also Jim Elvridge, author of Universe Solved, discusses the possibility that we're involved in a digitally manufactured programmed reality, uh, otherwise known perhaps as the Matrix. That's Sunday, November the 16th at the Regent Theatre, 50 King Street East in Oshawa, Ontario. And if you're interested uh, to look at some tickets, uh, the box office number is 905-721-3399, extension 2. Or for more details, you can just email Follow the Truth Summit. That's Follow the Truth Summit at gmail.com. And as always, there is a website and it's called followthetruth.tv. And that might be an interesting little project for you to consider this coming fall. This evening, the afterlife, uh, something that is probably on our minds every once in a while when our hit hits the pillow at night or when the first thing happens in the morning, we think about um, what the day lies ahead and how things will work out. And eventually, um, when times of pensiveness come along, we always, I think, at least I do sometimes, uh, think about my ultimate destiny. And this evening, we are going to be chatting with um, an expert in the afterlife, 
Dr. Stafford Betty. And it will be something I know it will challenge your perceptions about uh, a lot of us have been brought up in in different kinds of religious rites that have been, I guess, uh, telling us what the afterlife is all about and what it might be. Um, Dr. Betty has a few different perceptions about what this afterlife is. And just by way of introduction, he has published eight books and many articles and essays on a wide variety of subjects. The afterlife is very much on his mind these days, and he speaks at national conferences on life after death, and he also blogs for the Huffington, the Huffington Post. He believes the purpose of life is to grow one's soul with the evolutionary goal of coming home to God, whatever God may prove to be, in a relationship that is challenging, joyous, never-ending, and never-stagnant. His views on this subject have been formed not only by his religious scriptures or theology, but by the paranormal research that he's been involved in. His books, The Afterlife Unveiled and Heaven and Earth Unveiled, are products of this research. And his novel, The Imprisoned, as his fictional novel, the Imprisoned Splendor brings it to life in a very vivid fictional setting. Dr. Betty, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Thanks very much, Victor. It's great to be here. I feel honored. Oh, it's terrific. I, I'm honored to speak with you, too. Um, if uh, In reviewing some of the work that you've done uh, and, and looking at some of the references and, the, and the, the, all of the research you've done, you must be just, when did you start all of this this work? How far back does it go? My, you must have done it from the cradle, for crying out loud. <laughs> in a sense, I did. Uh, I've been interested in the afterlife for an awfully long time. I remember as far back as when I was 10 years old, I began to wonder, you know, it is obvious that life is very short on this planet, and then there's an enormous amount of time that follows. I grasped that concept when I was 10, and um, I've always had uh, a curiosity about what would follow because it seems so much longer and ultimately more important than the journey that we we're taking right here on the planet. So. Yeah, and uh, when I got to graduate school, I put that uh, curiosity aside, and then when I got my teaching job here and got tenure, I began to bring it back up. It began to surface of its of its own self, um, and I've uh, been going from that point on. I've been doing active research for the last 30 years uh, on on afterlife, mm-hmm. and and you're quite right to say that uh, this research is not based on scripture. It's not based on religion. It's based on psychical research. Um, mm-hmm. You might call it. Uh, uh, well, we'll just leave it at that for the moment. Okay. Yeah, I, it's it's really something because um, in in we take so much of this for granted all of the time because most of us are growing up have been and taught in in a culture, uh, you know, be it Christianity or any other uh, of the the numerous religions that, that and cultures that are that are abundant on the planet, and they all have a very very prescribed notion of what life and death is is, is all about. And it's, it's interesting that you you mention the fact you know that being a teacher yourself and you know doing all of that kind of work um, in my previous uh, profession, I, I was a teacher too. I, I taught elementary school for, for a while and uh, was an educator after that for about 35 years. So I think one teacher talking to another is very significant in this conversation. Uh, <laughs> what I want to find out, just very quickly, and just if you could, um, I'm going to throw something kind of broad. What is death? Uh, death is the shedding of the physical body. Um, that's all it is. It's not mm-hmm. miraculous. The fact that we live on uh, after what we call death uh, is is a very, in a sense, just a natural thing. It's it's uh, God is not involved. No miracle is necessary. We just shed the outer body and the inner body that we have 
within us right now, you might say it's just under, under the surface of the outer body, becomes the outer body. We can call that the astral body or the ethereal body or the subtle body. That's a word that Hindus use. And that becomes our body once we, quote, die. Of course, we don't really die because consciousness doesn't stop. So I guess, in essence, the, the idea of, of, of death, uh, things ending as, as far as the, um, the, the, the spirit or soul is really a, a, a misnomer. It, it just doesn't go away. It just doesn't fizzle out like a light goes out. It just it, yeah. something continues. Yeah. According to my research, and I've been, I've been researching this for a long time, the notion that we cease to exist uh, at death, uh, that you know, once our brain stops, that's the end of us because the brain is the originator of all consciousness, that is, quote, the big lie. That's a huge mistake. Um, and uh, you might call it a conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> that has become yeah. so prevalent. Mm-hmm. It's become the worldview of, quote, smart people, people who are, you know, with PhDs, scientists and the like. These people, in my view, are really pseudoscientists because they don't look at the literature that I am trying to share with the world and others like me. I'm not unique by any means. They just don't look at it. Professional philosophers, mm-hmm. uh, many scientists, just refuse to look at it. They look down their nose before even examining it because they've heard from their peers that it's not worth looking at. Oh, what a mistake. And so they go into death. Uh, uh, you might call it uh, pessimistically. Uh, I certainly don't like the idea of uh, extinction, uh, and uh, I don't see any reason that they would either. But that's exactly what they do expect. And uh, I believe that's no way to live. That's and, an ugly yeah. conspiracy that we are being forced to think that that's the cool way to think yeah. or the smart way to be. Of course. The the idea of, of them not looking at it uh, is at their peril, I guess, because as soon as they start looking at things like that, all kinds of things come into play, like their pension and tenure. So they they just don't touch it. Uh, that's one of the reasons. Mm-hmm. They lose their respectability if they start yeah. – if it, if it becomes known that they are seriously considering – a spiritual uh, point of view, mm-hmm. um, that that can cost them a great deal. It could cost them their career. I would have lost mine a long time ago had I not already been tenured and uh, and been promoted to full professor. I could afford to take risks, but I would not have taken the risk uh, as a junior professor. I would have kept my interest to myself. Uh, and uh, fortunately, the the uh, the curiosity that has been kindled in me didn't really become strongly aroused until I was about 40 and had already uh, gotten the tenure necessary to survive. Yeah, that's Let an interesting... Let me tell you that yeah, I am not a popular professor here among my peers. Mm-hmm. Among my students, yes, but not among my peers. They rather avoid me. They think I'm very peculiar. I, I know the feeling. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, yeah. you mentioned that you've, you first got involved in it when you were 40. I, I have to imagine that at some point in your life, um, be it latent or, or whatever, at whatever point in your life, uh, that you may have discovered that some of the feelings or things you've been taught about life and death and that whole that whole realm somehow didn't resonate with you. It's like a, like a you know a small stone in your shoe. Uh, right. Was there something before the age of forty that kind of kindled this feeling, or or was oh, it absolutely. Just, yeah? Long before that, Victor. As a matter of fact, uh, the whole notion that. That, that there was this God who sat on a throne and had a scepter um, sitting in heaven and judging people and condemning people who didn't believe in Jesus or didn't believe in, in Allah or whatever it is you're supposed to believe in that will cost you eternal life. That just struck me as absurd. I mean, it really, by the time I was 25, I had rejected that belief wholesale. 
Uh, unfortunately, I had to reject all Christianity as well for a while, and I, I lived the life of an agnostic, even an atheist, and I found that to be extremely unpleasant. And it really set me off on this adventure to find out if there was some way out of that very pessimistic uh, worldview. And boy, did I find it. It's all over the place if you know where to look. Yeah. Well, and that's why I've written my books. It's to share this worldview with as many people as I can reach. Yeah, we're that's only to... one of the problems with it. I mean, when you get yeah. into atonement theology and and uh, the notion of there being just one life and uh, other other uh, uh, aspects of my early upbringing, I began to question and and uh, I found that there was very good reason to question them as I began to look at the evidence that was piling up. Precisely, we have to take a bit of a break here, uh, Doctor. Just uh, a few minutes, and we'll be back sure. on the other side of the break. Uh, my name is Victor Vigiani, and you're listening to the Conspiracy Show. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. By the way, I I need to also remind you that one of the other things that Richard is involved in is Season 3 of The Conspiracy Show on television. It's a program that debuts across Canada on Vision TV on August the 11th at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And there are 13 brand new episodes, including the fake Arab Spring, Stanley Mayer's Water Engine, the Shroud of Turin, and Is the Cure for Cancer Being Suppressed? A lot of really um, vibrant things happening with Richard on television. We're really glad to, to see that happening with him. Also, too, if you want to become a member of the RichardSarrett.com Club, it's, uh, it's quick and easy and free. Just click on the blue membership area button on the right side of uh, his website. Uh, fill in the required fields and wait for your confirmation email. If you don't receive it, check back in your spam folder. It just might be hiding there. Uh, once you're a member, you can gain access to member-only areas of the website, like the past show archives, and you'll also receive the drop, the, pardon me, the dead drop, not the drop dead, the dead drop newsletter, the official newsletter of The Conspiracy Show. Tonight we're talking with a very, um, I, I think, <laughs> A prolific writer, first of all, and in my understanding, a great teacher, Dr. Stafford Betty, who's involved in um, the afterlife. And just before we um, get on with things, we talked about what death is in the corporeal sense, and it's not like turning a switch on and off, but there's a whole lot more to it than that. Let's get a little bit more into that. Um, what I'd like to find out, if we could, if we could just sort of talk about for a second, this whole idea of growth. You talked about it, um, and I, I've heard you reference it, before, reference it before in terms of how the soul or the body or we as characters grow uh, into the positions that we normally would achieve after, after death. Um, what, what's this growth thing all about? We, we evolve into something different? Yeah, this, this is, this is a, a wonderful question, and it, it was the one that I was, very, <laughs> was urgently hoping you'd get to. Um, according to spirit literature, <clears throat> um, dozens and dozens of accounts coming down to us over the last 160 years um, from the world of spirit uh, through legitimate, uh, authentic, and, and even classical mediums, um, book-length um, accounts of what life over there is like. These are my sources. Um, according to them, the universe, the whole universe, wherever there are planets like Earth, uh, is, a, is a moral gymnasium with challenges at every level, uh, from what we find on Earth-like planets to uh, what we have to endure in the shadow lands if we have botched uh, the adventure 
or what we find in the highest heavens, which is hopefully where we're going to evolve into. The, the progress that, that spirits are allowed to make, we're not forced to. Our will is always free. We can resist uh, progress. But the progress that spirits are allowed to make is striking, it's radical, it's far-reaching, and it can stretch over eons. Heaven uh, is a vital, busy, challenging environment with extraordinary delights for those who are deserving, who are ready. It's not a lotus-eating paradise. It's not a place where you go to, quote, rest, as the book of Revelation puts it at one place. Um, one of the spirits puts it this way, we're pilgrims on an infinite march. I love that. So that is what we're looking forward to. And this is what we should be doing with our life right here and now, because right here is part of the march. We should be living life well. And uh, uh, my books will <laughs> encourage you to do just that. There's a lot lying on, on, on the choices that we make here. Let's examine just for a second some of this. You mentioned uh, spirit sources. Let, let's look at that for a second. Uh, sure. in, in terms of your own research, the, the work that you've done, there's other ways that you've uh, you've, you've become to know uh, the, the, all of the things that you know. And, and to, to me, what, what you're doing is you're introducing a new language uh, for us all to examine. You know, a concept is a concept only because it has language surrounding it. If if the, if yep. the concept doesn't have language, then we really can't think about it in in, in um, you know in linguistic terms. So you're providing a, a brand new language for us to, to examine the possibilities that are very, very different than what we've been brought, brought up to believe. The idea of, of, of your sources, where do you draw this information from? Well, um, the, there have been many, many books, literally hundreds, probably thousands of books that have been published over the last 160 years. This process began around 1850. Uh, in Europe, incidentally, or rather in the United States, and then quickly into Europe, and particularly Britain. Um, so it, uh, the, the information comes from um, the spirits themselves who are telling us about their life on the other side through these classical mediums. And the names of these mediums, you know, I can throw them out at you, and you may have heard of a few of them, but I doubt that uh, most of your um, listeners have heard of any of them. Perhaps Jane Roberts would be the lone exception. She was the medium who, who channeled Seth. Um, also channeled much more fascinatingly uh, a, a person claimed to be claimed to, claiming to be the, the philosopher and um, and psychologist William James. But there are many others as well. Frederick Myers, for example, one of the founders of the Society for Psychical Research in 1882, he was brought through by Geraldine Cummins, the famous Irish. Uh, medium starting in the 1920s and uh, the book that she published uh, that uh, the two of them published together it's called the the road to immortality it's considered to be the classic of this kind of genre so you know it, it all of this information comes from the world of spirit and that's what makes it so fascinating to me and makes it more <clears throat> you might say more plausible because Spirits are closer to the source than we are. Uh, truth for us is harder to get at um, because our physical brains sort of blinker out a great deal of the of the of the insight and of the revelation that uh, that spirits find themselves more easily accessing. So if we want if we want to 
you might say, give our religions a facelift, and all of our religions need a facelift, in my opinion, we should look at these sources because they have a great deal to tell us that begins to make a heck of a lot more sense. Yeah, that's well, amazing. I, I, it, it really does. Uh, it, it sort of hits you broadside when you think about it in terms of you know, the daily life that, that, that we live and what we've been taught before. I keep on going back to that that aspect of it mm-hmm. because it is a really true, uh, it's a paradigm shift for everybody. Um, uh, uh, my understanding of the world after death is it's the place that you land up in, you know, wherever that might be. It's sort of a function. It's and it's sort of dependent on the quality of one's own character. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. While, while you're in this life. Um, talk to us about that for a second. Yeah, uh, um, the what we call the law of karma. Uh, hey, those Hindus and Buddhists got that part right anyway. Uh, that uh, you find that attested to in every source I've ever read. Um, the kind of experiences that await us in the world beyond death are totally dependent on the kind of character that we build uh, on planets like ours here. Um, not necessarily only in this life, but in previous lives. Um, all of, in other words, the kind of being that we are, the essential self that we've molded ourselves into by choices, by habits that grow out of many, many choices. That's the kind of being. That's the kind of, in other words, our our karma will be based on the kind of character that we are. It's not based on the individual deeds that we do in some corny tit-for-tat fashion. It's based on the kind of character that we are. Now, all of us have made mistakes, and we're going to be confronted with those mistakes when we uh, find ourselves deceased. We will be confronted by our lives. We'll have to go back over those uh, those mistakes, and, and we'll learn from them, and they will be painful. Um, we will find ourselves um, rather brutally judging ourselves. We don't need God to judge us. We will be judging ourselves when the blinkers fall off and we see what really motivated us to do the things that we did that we're not proud of. But, um, uh, yeah, the law of karma is very much in play, and the kind of experience and the kind of world that we will find ourselves in will be uh, adjusted accordingly uh, to the kind of being that we are. We will gravitate towards people like ourselves initially, and it doesn't mean we have to stay in the particular sector of the afterlife that we find ourselves gravitating to, uh, but we will start out that way. So does, so does this change the nature of God as, as we, we know it? I'm just wondering. You, you mentioned that we judge ourselves, and it, so it sort of dispossesses the idea that you know, once you pass along, there, there's not going to be this man, as you said earlier, sitting on a throne you know, with a... With a with a hammer in his hand saying, you know, you're here and you're there. Uh, it's, you, 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 we, we are forced to look at God in a different way. We are. God is not um, uh, a judge who sits on that throne, as, as you put it. This is a childish way of looking at God. Um, we, you might say this, that, that each of us has uh, a tiny God component at the, at the heart's deepest point. And so we see things with tremendous clarity once we shed the body. And that can be rather frightening if we've made a series of bad choices. We will begin to confront ourselves as we are. And what is doing confronting is that little, that little God seed within us, what we call conscience here. Um, it will be more available. It will be more awakened once we are, quote, dead. Uh, and so in that sense, God still is in play, um, but not as an outside force. Um, but as an inner force, 
um, that little seed, that little God seed within us, doing the judging, uh, doing the planning, doing hopefully the evolving if we choose to evolve, and that's completely up to us. So but it does make God look different, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it certainly I think does. It makes God look a great deal more attractive and more plausible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we're, in essence, what I'm hearing from you is that we're more or less in control of our own fate. We really are, and and God is the source, in other words, and uh, it's it's you know He gives us this incredible gift of life, and and then the freedom to do with it what we want to, what we choose to do. That's a great gift, but He does not meddle much, if at all, in our lives. Um, prayers are effective, but in a way that uh, we don't typically think of them. Uh, I can get to that if there's time. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, God needs to be reconceived and along much healthier, more plausible lines of thought. Well, I guess in a lot of ways because of the uh, of what we've been taught. I mean, people have been conditioned for for centuries uh, around this whole idea of, of of religious notions of what heaven and hell and um, and just uh, you know, I, I was brought up a Catholic, and uh, I Me have too. yeah, there you go. So, and I've shed a lot of those notions myself. Uh, I'm not sure, exactly sure how that happened. Perhaps it's some sort of divine inter- intervention. I'm not quite sure. I look at myself as a very spiritual person, but institutional religion is is is, is dead as far as I'm concerned, but that's another story altogether. Um, okay. Yeah, um, what I'd like to do is um, maybe look at this idea of after we, we get to the place that we're at, there's all kinds of different levels that we, that we experience, and you talk about jobs, jobs that we have to do once we cross that line into the other realm that, um, that, that promote a different kind of um, presence after we're there. Uh, what, yeah. what, what, what do you mean by that? Um. First of all, there are many occupations um, that are available to us. Um, uh, the heaven world, the good world, um, sometimes called summerland. Um, uh, if, if we're decent people, we're going to find ourselves in a, a realm that, or a world that is attractive, that is um, uh, that is that is lovely, and um, there will be many many opportunities for uh, the practice of loving service. And for those of us who want to evolve, we're going to have to get serious about loving service, more serious over there than we were here. We'll also find that it's more congenial to engage in loving service. It's a little bit easier to do that. But much will be required of us, much will be demanded of us if we want to evolve. We're not just allowed to sit back and, quote, be happy, uh, uh, and some of the some of the, the the service, some of the loving service that we will be asked to do. For example, um, there are many varied expressions of it. Um, there are <clears throat> there's the possibility that uh, we will be uh, helping out those um, those materialists, or shall we call them physicalists, those people who deny anything like life after death, who find themselves very much alive even though they've died but with a tendency to deny that they really have died. They, this is remarkable. This, is, this, this mistake is referred to in source after source after source. So uh, then people, hopefully like us, will be able to help these people recognize and accept the fact that they were profoundly wrong on Earth and that they have died and that they are still alive. And uh, that's just one of the things that I find rather fascinating. That's one possible occupation. There's a great deal of, uh, shall we say, counseling that goes on I over see. there. Yeah. 
there are there are there's a lot of missionary work that's done that's a word that I use it's kind of a Christian twang to it mm-hmm. but there's a great deal of opportunity for service to those souls who are in dark places stuff stuff yet to be land. done right Right. There's a lot of work that needs to be done there, and uh, I hope that I'll find that attractive and challenging, um, because I, that's that's a challenge that I that I think I would welcome. That's just there are many forms. There are thousands of ways to uh, to to grow one's soul on the other side, but it will require uh, engaging uh, occupational work. We're talking with Dr. Stafford Betty about the afterlife. You're listening to the Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. My name is Victor Vigiani. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Once again, thanks for joining us. And my name is Victor Vigiani, and you're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Um, And we're talking this evening uh, with uh, Dr. Stafford Betty about the afterlife. And before we continue, I just want to give you some information about a really exciting uh, conference or retreat that's coming up later on uh, in, in, in August. And be be it, uh, I think, 28th to the 31st of August, it's going to be held over over several days, and it's called uh, the Extraterrestrial Intelligence and Consciousness Cosmic Connection Retreat. It'll be held just north of Toronto, and it's uh, scheduled to be a really interesting uh, several couple of days. So uh, it'll it'll involve uh, Daniel P. Sheehan, if you're familiar with Daniel's work, uh, Grant Cameron, Canadian researcher, and... Uh, Disclosure Advocate Stephen G. Bassett, and I will be showing up there too. So if you want more information about the extraterrestrial intelligence and the consciousness cosmic connection, go to uh, ufocontact.com slash forward slash retreat, or you can contact the uh, organizers at info, I-N-F-O, at ufocontact.com. Uh, back to the questions, um, I, I guess, of, of I guess a, a broader concern. It, it's something that I think has um, uh, been explored by other people, but not necessarily, uh, you know, so much so in terms of religion. But some communication spirits uh, have spoken about an eternal life, Doctor, and others speak of rebirth, uh, coming back to learn more. Uh, the obvious example being in the books of Anthony Bourdieu. Borgia. Uh, why is that? What's, what's the whole difference between the eternal life and others coming back with some sort of rebirth or reincarnation or whatever they might call it? How does that fit into to the frame and paradigms that you've been examining? Yeah. Um, uh, keep in mind that, that um, the, the world ahead of us um, is, is, it provides opportunities for every wholesome interest or avocation from science to music to theology astral architecture, home building. Um, it's a joyful, endlessly fascinating place full of challenges for those who desire to grow. However, um, for those who are not up to the kind of hyper-spiritual life that the more mature would find bracing and delightful and, um, uh, and attractive enough not to feel the need to return to Earth to experience more basic satisfactions and experiences. Um, That's a possibility. One does not have to reincarnate. Um, I would hope not to have to reincarnate myself, but it's very likely that I will not have worked out all of the problems in my nature that one has to uh, before moving on. 
probably I'll have to, but one doesn't have to, and the ideal is to not have to and to keep moving forward. So that sort of puts uh, reincarnation into its proper context. It's a great way to, you, you might say, grow at uh, an accelerated rate. Uh, there, the challenges here at this level, mm-hmm. at the level of a planet, a, a planet like our like our own, uh, is great. I mean, there's we have to worry about death. We have to worry about uh, you know just surviving, uh, and uh, this this calls forth. Uh, either great virtue for those of us who choose well or great vice for those of us who choose selfishly. So it's a place, it's a moral gymnasium, as I said before. Um, and it's uh, ideally uh, set up uh, for uh, advanced uh, training uh, to, into the world of spirit where mm-hmm. eventually and hopefully we will stay. I love that term, moral gymnasium. It's a, an incredible concept. It's all that part of that new language that we have to confront in order to understand this yeah. concept. Uh, let me spend a second asking you, um, you, you mentioned that, so there's hyper-spirituality and, and those of us who grasp the concept, we can get it. We just, we, we know that something has to be done. What about uh, individuals, be they mentally challenged or physically challenged or intellectually challenged in, in one way or another in, in my profession uh, as, you know, meeting children at that level, and even adults too? Um, they, they really don't have a, a, an idea of, of their own self-awareness. They might, but we just don't know that they do. Right. How, how, do they, how would you imagine these individuals would fit into the yeah. whole uh, idea of, that, you're, that you're talking about? Right. Let's first of all talk about... Um Kids, mm-hmm. children, toddlers, even um, individuals who die at, a, at an early age. Uh, what happens to them? Uh, they are they are taken over after becoming orphaned, orphaned in reverse. You know, their parents haven't died; they've died, and their parents are back on Earth. Well, what happens to these kids? They are loved and nurtured by souls who uh, delight in mothering, or occasionally even fathering uh, orphaned children. On the other side, that's one of the professions, one of the jobs that uh, is often chosen by uh, spirits who have enjoyed children back on Earth. So they continue to uh, to give their gifts to the children of spirit on the other side, and the spirits grow into adults under the careful, nurturing presences of these um, of these motherly beings. Doctor, can I hold you there for a second? I want to continue this right after the break because I sure. find it fascinating. Uh, once again, my name is Victor Vigiani, and this is The Conspiracy Show, and stay exactly where you are. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Just before the break, we were talking about uh, how children are dealt with, uh, specifically those children who uh, pass away um, before their parents do and have been denied the care that their natural parents would normally give them. And, Doctor, you were talking about others that might take over this role. Yeah, that's right. Um, And you mentioned also um, uh, adults, for example, Mm -hmm. who have been harmed or mentally retarded people, people who are born with very low IQs and so forth. I think that was part of your question as well, Victor. Did I get that right? That's correct, Doctor. Right. Um, uh, you know, it would, be, it would be folly to try to guess exactly why those things happened to that particular individual, and I don't want to get into that. Of course. But um, there certainly would be the opportunity to grow 
in one way or another in those incapacitated states. The soul is not dormant. Um, the soul is undergoing uh, whatever experience it is really like to be in that kind of condition. I don't know what that condition feels like, but the soul is there undergoing it and will grow from it, probably without doing too much choosing because there isn't much ability to choose in these very unadvanced states. So we'll just leave that question unanswered. And it is mysterious, but uh, in the last analysis, the overall picture of the afterlife uh, is that, that we're all left, uh, that, 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 in other words, we're left with a picture of the growing immensity and grandeur of the human soul um, uh, when it responds continually to the call from its infinitely mighty and gracious maker. Um, that's what we're all called to do when we have the capacity to make those kinds of choices. And, of course, some individuals don't have that capacity. But you and I do, Victor, mm -hmm. and most of the listeners also have that capacity. And it's the way we choose now in this particular life that's going to have everything to do with our progress in the world ahead. Yeah, it's a fascinating notion, and it's, it, it takes a bit of courage to admit <laughs> a, a question like that is, is kind of unanswerable in a lot of ways yeah. because it, you don't want to get too far into the area of speculation on, on a matter so yeah, important like exactly that. Yeah, exactly right. Of I course. Um, I, I, the other thing that I want to address with you is the, the whole idea, is, and I keep on going back to the notion of, of how we've been taught about these things as Christians yeah. and uh, others who believe in, uh, who are you know, of other faiths. Uh, sure. The, the ideas of, of heaven and hell and you know, the idea of purgatory, and this thing, of, this thing called limbo, which I never really understood. It, yeah. are, are these all strictly contrived and interpretive notions of, of the Bible or, or, or inspiration? And I guess my, my question to you is, how could biblical scholars be so darn wrong about all this stuff? Um, it's, it's not biblical scholars who are wrong. Uh, it's the, the relatively primitive people who, who uh, um, put together these systems um, you know, thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, and we're stuck with them. And um, that's a shame. That's one of the problems with having a scripture. Uh, we don't grow beyond the scripture. And what I learned to do very early in life was to not get hemmed in by the scriptural passages that don't make any sense. Um, there are wonderful passages in the Bible. Uh, for example, Matthew 5-7, to Christ's Sermon on the Mount. It doesn't get any better than that. That's the wisdom that we find in the very spirits that I've been studying that I want to share with my readers. Mm -hmm. So there's a great deal about Christianity in particular that, uh, that, uh, that is good. And I, I, I don't discourage people from going to church at all. I, I, I think it's probably something on the whole that is good for them to do. But there's also, I hate to say this, but there's quite a bit of nonsense uh, in uh, in, in the doctrine that I was raised with, at least that's the way I have come to believe it, uh, without going into particulars, there are things that I just leave behind. Uh, but there are also many wonderful passages in the Bible that we uh, would be wise to study and live by. But I don't know, it's just human nature to get stuck in tradition and be afraid to move on, uh, and that's the way most of us are. I'm just not that way. And, Victor, you broke through somehow yourself. You're mm -hmm. not sure how that happened, you said. That's right. But um, uh, And the same way, I just have had the courage to break out of those manacles that, uh, that uh, keep us believing that there are certain formulas that we have to buy into, that we have to accept in order to be saved. That's just not what not comes through any of the accounts that I've studied. Yeah. None of these formulas are going to save you. Of course. There are no rigid creeds. 
um, on the other side that you have to adopt in order to be saved. Whether you're a Baptist or a Catholic or a Mormon or a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Muslim or an Anglican is simply of no importance over there. Many of Earth's favorite religious dogmas are off the mark anyway, and the sooner they are recognized as such, the better. The better. You've raised an issue. Um, I, I want to, you know, get to two points before we, before we break off here. The, the first sure. one is, um, is is about Christ and, and what or who He was. And se- second uh-huh. of all, before I get to that one, and just very briefly, could you just sort of address the issue of, um, you know, you write many religions are represented in the spirit worlds, and I suspect that our audience would really like to know. More more about um, how this whole idea of sectarian strife that we're going through right now, how does that play out um, in, in, in whatever that next place is? Do, do people oh, wow, different... that's an interesting question. <laughs> yeah. First of all, the, uh, the, the heaven worlds that the decent among us are destined for uh, soon after our death uh, is divided into many, many sectors. We're not going to find ourselves, if we have been happy Catholics, and die as Catholic, we're not going to find ourselves in a world that is populated by by Muslims. Muslims will find themselves in their own world, in their own sector of heaven, and we'll find ourselves in the sector of heaven that we, uh, where people who think like us will welcome us and love us. Now, there will come a point when we start outgrowing the boundaries of these various sectors, and we grow into a kind of a meta-religion or a kind of a universal faith as we, uh, uh, you might say, discard the, the limiting religions that we carry over with us into the other world. Um, so the, the best, the wisest among us will discard those cramping uh, uh, conditions and, and move into something far better that, uh, that represents the, the wisdom and the experience of, uh, of higher spirits. Mm-hmm. Okay. But there are sectors, and of there course. are many sectors, and there are probably thousands of them. Uh, so <laughs> that's an interesting concept that I did not come across in my religious training as a boy. For sure. I guess the, the other idea, too, is I've always been um, enthralled by the persona of the, this man named, uh, named Jesus and you know, where he came from, yeah. what he meant. Uh, how does he factor into all of this or, or yeah. that entity? Jesus, this is, this is wonderful. Jesus is, um, is loved by those Christians who loved him here. They will want to see him. And... Um, from the accounts I've read, they will be uh, enabled to see at least someone, something that they take to be Jesus, and they will delight in seeing Jesus. But they will not be his disciples anymore in the sense that they were here. They grow into something different from that. Jesus himself is regarded as a, a kind of master spirit, as one of the uh, great teachers of the afterlife. Someone who lives on a much higher plane than we're going to find ourselves on shortly after we die. We have access to him, as I said, if we want access to him. But he is not regarded as God. There's nothing like the Trinity that one finds in any of these accounts. Um, there's nothing like the, uh, the notion of an atonement theology, that mm-hmm. Jesus had to die on the cross for us. Uh, for our sins to be forgiven by, uh, you might say, a, a jealous Father God who requires it of, uh, of, of us. There's nothing like that. These old dogmas simply aren't found in spirit literature. So Jesus is not God, but he is greatly loved and admired and turned to by those who desire to turn to him over there. He's available in some sense. Mm-hmm. But um, as a master spirit, as a kind of a messiah, as one of the great teachers of the other world, but he's not alone. He's right. not the only great teacher over there. Not right. at all. 
part of a chorus, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it also, to the, the idea of good and evil, I mean, it's so prevalent in our day-to-day society, in, our, in the corporeal sense that we exist, and uh, yep. you know, that the strife and the angst that exists between those two polemic um, concepts, uh, where does good and evil fit in? I mean, is there a good, ultimate good? Is there an ultimate evil? Do they continue to, to work against each other, or do they dissolve into some other concept that just makes evil um, non-existent anymore? Right. There's no Satan over there. Uh, some of the accounts explicitly say that. But there are many very selfish, cruel souls over there, the very ones we have encountered in our own world. They don't change just because they die. They don't become good just because they uh, shed the body. I see. They gravitate to places where souls like them uh, are, you might say, uh, uh, are to be found. And uh, yeah. sometimes these worlds are called the... Uh, oh, I don't know. It has a different, very many different names. There almost never is the word hell used to denote the, the place where they gravitate towards. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, now the, these there is no ultimate evil that's going to triumph. That is not uh, a concept that one runs into at all in this literature. If anything... The spirits who are in these shadow realms, that's what they're sometimes called, need our help. They need spirits to come down them and help them to move out of the dark world into the light. So there is no permanent condemnation. Yeah. These souls will move out of their realms as soon as they're ready to. I see. And uh, many will not be ready to for a long time. It's, it's like your idea of the moral gymnasium. Uh, you know, we're all playing on the, on the gym floor and these other poor souls are sitting on the sideline. That's exactly right. They just don't want to move. They're just uh, that's a, that's a wonderful analogy, Victor. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, you've mentioned it three times now already. You've mentioned this planet there were, that we are on. Um, I am someone who has become very uh, in, very intensely involved in the in the idea of extraterrestrial consciousness okay. and 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 life beyond our planet, sentient life beyond the planet, and I believe that we are being engaged by these off-world civilizations. Um, okay. When you mentioned uh, on this planet, uh, and even the Catholic Church has come out to say that there there may in fact be other kinds of intelligent life out there, and we should welcome them. How, how do you how do you see the universal or cosmic aspects of this in terms of extraterrestrial intelligence joining into this whole symphony? Uh, of this other place after we after we all pass. Yeah, that's that's great. Uh, yeah, um, let me let me just turn to if I can find this. Uh, I want to share it with you because there are a couple of. Uh, we just have a few minutes left. Yeah. Yeah, a couple of explicit mentions of these worlds. Uh, yeah, I can't find it, but uh, yes, um, the, the 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 experience we're having on this particular planet is regarded as quite similar to the experiences of others on other planets in other solar systems, galaxies, whatever. Um, so it's not as if, you know, planet Earth is the only moral gymnasium. There are many. As a matter of fact, all, everywhere there, everywhere where there is conscious life mm-hmm. and the ability to choose, there you find other moral gymnasiums throughout the entire universe. The whole point of living in these worlds is to grow our souls and to become more divine as we go deeper into what we essentially are and realize our destiny. 
it just sort of adds a new dimension to the kinds of things that I've been ve- investigating because it's, uh, it seems to me that, uh, that the whole cosmic reality of, of what we're involved in, and if we do believe in, in some sort of creator or the one, it just seems like uh, it should all fold in together at some point with all of I us agree. being engaged in. In yeah, any case, I yes, I, I do want to thank you so very much uh, this evening, um, Doctor, for joining us. You've, you've uh, enlightened me for sure, and I hope that you've given some uh, food for thought and planted some seeds for our listeners this evening. So, uh, is there any website that you want to mention, or anything else that you want to talk about before we just sort of leave? Well, I just, um, I probably ought to spell my last name. It's B E T T Y. It's just like a woman's first name. Mm-hmm. Often I'm mistaken as a Betty Stafford as a woman, <laughs> but my name is Stafford Betty, and and uh, these, both these books, the most recent one, The Heaven and Hell Unveiled, and the other one, The Afterlife Unveiled, are available probably most easily at Amazon.com. Just, you know, type in my name, Stafford, Betty, and they'll turn up. And you'll learn all about them. They have been uh, reviewed many times, and, and you can decide whether or not it's worth purchasing them. They're both, both of them inexpensive. Well, once again, thank you so much for joining us this evening, and uh, maybe we look forward to another uh, another session with you so we can dig down and drill deeper into this whole idea of where we go after these little vessels have spent their time. Thank you very much for joining us, Doctor. Thank you, Victor. You've been a, a very fine host. Good night. Well, wasn't that something? Um, I'm not sure where you go from there. Uh, I know you've uh, got a lot to think about. Continue to do that. Thank you for listening. My name is Victor Vigiani. You've been listening to The Conspiracy Show.